Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Their first back-to-back shutouts since February of 2017. Mikhail Hilliard, nice start tonight for the Tigers. Devin Fontenot closing it out. And, of course, it was Antoine Duplantis providing the go-ahead RBI single, check swing single, uh, infield single, late in that game and LSU now a little four game win streak as they head into that huge series this weekend against Texas A&M and of course we are your home for LSU baseball Friday Saturday Sunday against the Aggies pregame on Friday and Saturday 6 30 first pitch seven o'clock Friday game here on WWL Saturday will be on our sister station hot 92 9 that is because we're home for the NCAA Men's Final Four. The excitement starts Saturday at 2.30. We'll have Westwood One's Final Four show. Then at 5.09, the games are going to begin. Virginia against Auburn. And then Michigan State, the Spartans against the Red Raiders of Texas Tech. You can take the NCAA Men's Final Four wherever you go. Games right here on WWL, 105.3 FM and the Big 870 AM. Also this weekend, this Saturday, it's a busy day in the sports world, especially here. It's because the LSU spring football game is this Saturday, and there is so much talk about Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator, offensive assistant, new one for Coach O. I will say you're not going to see anything in this spring game. I mean, you just aren't. You're not going to learn or glean anything at all about LSU football and LSU's offense what it's going to look like in late August and early September from this game. If you think that this program that has been so secretive and tight-lipped and buttoned up during, uh, what, the two and a half, three years here under Coach O with this, yeah, they're not going to show a darn thing here. I am very curious to check out Miles Brennan and Joe Burrow and the offensive line play. Although, let's be honest here, it's – in spring football, offensive line play, not really going to matter. It's seven on seven. I agree with Carter Bryant. Why don't they just go to seven and uh, seven on seven for a spring game? I know it's – look, it's not football, but, Tim, don't you think the fans would be more excited if you just went out and say, hey, our spring game, we're going to fill up Tiger Stadium, and we're going to go three hours of seven on seven football. Just run them through. First string, second string, third string, uh, the incoming guys, the transfers. Wouldn't that be fun? I'd love it. Yeah, I think it's a good concept. Um, I mean, most of the time they just want the fans to get there so they can just fill the stadium up and get concessions and things like that. That's true. But that's basically the big reason for the spring game. But other than that, I mean, it's an extra. It's all it is is a glorified practice. And I mean, yes. I'd I'd actually like to see if they do the big cat drill the entire like for right. part of the practice. I think that would be fun to watch. Uh, yeah, I, I think I did. I talked about this the day before I left on that little mini vacation. The big cat drill, I was surprised that Coach O brought that back. That was a Les Miles staple, and he kind of 86'd everything from the Les Miles era, right? Yeah, Les Miles kind of started that. It was um, 
it was it was one of those fun things you always watched on Twitter. They would always film it. Um, they did a drone version of it this past week. Um, so if you go to LSU Sports Twitter, you can actually see the big cat drill from above, and it's pretty cool how they do it. Yeah, it's I think Cody Worsham's idea there is he's uh, directing social media and digital media over there for LSU now. A couple of NFL news and notes here. The new instant replay system, apparently, according to one guy, on the Kel Roby Coleman, was involved in that fateful Nolan no-call play. He says that the new rule should be named after him. Here's what he said. Quote, we'll be able to play a little bit more aggressive in a sense because now we have the review play to actually review the DBs at that time. It could be a little scuffle play and they call PI and you review it. It's a possibility it could be turned over after they look at the replay. It could be good, but it could be bad at the same time. If you have a good play, I think it's PI. It could bring back that play. Went on to say, hey, name it after me. I'm the I'm the guy and the reason that this rule change was implemented. And he also went on to say that he was very surprised, finally very surprised, that it wasn't called that play. Said he looked up to the referee, was kind of praying in his head, please no call, please no call, and he got the no call. That's the first time, at least, maybe I'm wrong here, but at least from what I've read, that he has admitted that – um, he felt a flag should have been thrown there. Is he going to be like Bruce Buffer now and try to get copyrights of like you know the, of everything and get right. trademarks and get money from it? I just went. You know, it's interesting you say Bruce Buffer, who's great too. It's one of those like Shazam kind of things. If you follow the the Shazam, Sinbad, Shazam, uh, yeah, Michael Buffer. Yes, I know that's where I was going. But have you followed the Shazam and Sinbad like controversy where? Half the population in the country believes that there was a movie with a genie that Sinbad was in. Have you been following this? It's like it's like people think that we're living in an alternate reality because of that. It's it's called the Mandela effect. If you Google it, it's pretty interesting. There's a lot of things like the can. I think it's the Canada Canterbury Bears. Canterbury Bears. Yeah, a lot of them think that there's there's differences in there as well. Like it's really weird. Yes, same thing. And the reason I bring that up is because I was just talking to multiple people about. Buffer, and they all said Bruce Buffer, but it's actually Michael Buffer. They both Bruce does UFC, is that right? Bruce Buffer does UFC. Here's a crazy and Michael story. does boxing. They're actually brothers, but they didn't realize they were brothers until they met later in their lives. They like they connected somehow through some situation, and they found out they were actually related to each other, and they were real brothers. Is Buffer their real name? I think so. I can Google it, but I'm pretty sure they're. I know for a fact they're brothers, and they didn't realize that they were brothers and up until like their 30s. He's so he has like an army of lawyers, Michael Buffer, for the one phrase that I'm so afraid to even say on the radio for fear of serious litigation here. Tim, you wanna would you like to say that phrase? No, you you want to get sued? I'm good. Okay, we, you're, you're we've good. We've gotten too many emails about that. Okay. <laughs> Wait, we've gotten emails about that phrase? Not us, but other stations and intercom have yeah. actually gotten in trouble. Well, yeah. I think I worked at a station, not here, back in right out of college, I was working at this little mom and pop station. And somebody else used that phrase in, it was either a promo or a commercial, and they got a letter. Soon thereafter, cease and desist. I don't even, like, I, the audience, half the audience, probably, what phrase are you talking about? Just Google Michael Buffer phrase, because I don't want to say it. Like, I'll, I'll just get, I'll get sued. I won't be on tomorrow, right? I'll have a Will Wade situation on my hands. Text from the 504, the word is that some of the players wanted to, bring uh wanted him to bring it back i think you're talking about nickel roby coleman there i'll take a break when we come back 
Um, oh, Big Cat? Oh, I got you there. So I guess some of the, the Les Miles holdovers wanted to bring the Big Cat. Why wouldn't you want to bring that back? That's awesome. Little guy, big guy, offensive guy, defensive guy. Yeah, it's awesome. You can see all those videos on Twitter, the LSU football Twitter. Steve Gleason, nominated for an Emmy? No, not just one, but two. We'll get into that when we come back. Great stuff here on the last lap. And welcome back to the show. So Steve Gleason, who earlier this year won the Congressional Gold Medal, becoming the first NFL player ever to receive that honor, and like deservedly so here. Well, the Steve Gleason film, No White Flags, has been nominated for two different Emmys, two different sports Emmys here. Just outstanding stuff. The categories he's nominated for, the film's nominated for, rather, is Outstanding Edited Sports Special or Series and Outstanding Long Feature. And I would bet my bottom dollar that they're going to win both of those categories. There just really has not been a, a sports documentary more talked about or loved anywhere in the country than this one um, all year long. It was the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences that announced these Today, it's the 40th annual Sports Emmy Awards that will be in New York City on May 20th. Have you seen that, that documentary, Tim? It's just anybody, Tim say no, he hasn't seen it. It is worth it. Just any night, you got a couple of hours, and you have a chance to somehow watch that. NFL 360, Steve Gleason, No White Flags, do. It is, it's powerful, it's moving, and it's, it's really just a look inside of this courageous and, and strong and incredible man's and life and advocacy and struggle here. Tim, I know you're a better sports better. Did you see that <laughs> Tim is shaking his hands like he's not a sports better? Did you see a 14 cent parlay won $1,300? 14 cents. 14 cents. $1,300. You saw this, Tim? I'm actually more upset they allow this guy to do this because he bet I think he bet seven or eight games and parlayed them all a fourteen cents. And apparently he does this more than once. Like his whole thing is he parlays ten cent parlays all throughout the college basketball season in hopes that one hits and apparently one hit during the tournament. Which if you look at the numbers, it's kindly it's like really insane that it hit. Yes. It's really insane that it hits. Uh this couple last name of Donardo they did. It was seven different parlays. Their odds were seven different games they bet on the parlays. Their odds were 10,000 to one. 10,000 to one. They couldn't believe it. I know you've made some small parlay bets here. Um, yeah, I don't bet five. I don't bet. You don't have to say, you don't have to say, right. You don't have to say how much you won. Uh, it is tax season, obviously. But do you had any relatively big scores? I've hit on, I don't bet more than maybe three team parlays. I mean, he has 14 cents here, Tim. If I had a 14-cent parlay, I guess I'd go 10 games. But all in all, I mean, the most you really want to parlay is at most is maybe three teams. But if I'm feeling you know a little risky, I'll throw like a five- or six-teamer in there, mostly in football season because I feel in football it's definitely more safer. In college basketball, there's so much that could happen. I just think that the over and unders and just the point spreads, it's just – there's so much. I'm, I'm like really shocked that he, he hit, hit on this. Yeah, it was the point spread and over-under selections on seven of the first Saturday of the NCAA tournament's eight games. He actually had this account at one of the betting sites, and he had lost all of his money. He didn't have a lot in there, but lost all of his money. He had 14, 14 cents left in his account. So I'm going to go do this. 
I'm just going to go put like this on. He won like $1,400, correct? Yeah, yeah, 1400 bucks. And he says he wants to put this. it down on a, on a wedding ring, apparently. And that's one way she's to do spoiling, it. He's spoiling it for his, his girlfriend now. Well, she'll still be happy with that. A little. Uh, he said down payment on a wedding ring? Is that what he, he said? Down fourteen hundred dollars down payment on a wedding ring? How how expensive is this wedding ring going to be? I mean, he still has to go get, on vacation and everything as well, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. What is this like a you know hundred thousand dollar ring here, and he's got a little you know down payment or my goodness? See, I'm not married. How expensive are engagement and wedding rings now? I don't. I'm not married either, so I, I wouldn't know. If we're, if we're pretty clueless over here. If fourteen hundred dollars is just a small down payment on an engagement ring. I thought it was, you know, good engagement rings are like two to two thousand, three thousand, four thousand. That's what I thought and remembered. But if this is a down payment, I'm all out. Just I will be single the rest of my life. Forget it. If I got to pay twenty thousand dollars for a ring, that's that's an expense I don't want. Sorry, people. I'm, I'm going to stay off the market apparently for a while longer. And now I can convince, you know, I can convince my future partner that. Um, I can use sports gambling now to, to finance my, uh, <laughs> oh my future my future engagement ring. Well, you haven't done poorly at that. Um, now, another better has a, a little bit bigger of larger stakes. I phrase it correctly. A little larger stakes here for one Texas Tech fan. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, back in November of last year, one Texas Tech fan, and I don't think he's being named here. The sports book out in Vegas released this, as they often do, just to get promotion for their book and the betting going on there. One fan bet $1,500 on Texas Tech to win the tournament back in back in November. You know how much, if they do win the title, this is going to net this guy or gal? I would say his odds were probably sixty to seventy-five to one when he when he was making this bet. It was a lot larger than that. It was about two thousand to one, and he will be getting three hundred thousand dollars, three hundred thousand dollars on uh, I should say two hundred to one, but three hundred thousand dollars on this on this bet. That's kind of ridiculous, actually. I I wouldn't. I I would think that he was probably intoxicated when he made this bet. So you the think? casino would probably allowed it to happen because anybody who's making a future bet on that amount of money with, on those odds, you would think that they have no shot at hitting. So the the casino is probably like, oh, he's intoxicated. Let him make that bet because it's easy money. But now, who knows? Yeah, they gave him a cushion of sixty five thousand dollars too, which is basically the book saying, hey, we'll give you a little. We'll give you some of our vig just to to make this happen here a, a little bit. Um, that's a big score, three hundred thousand dollars. First of all, what's more crazy that somebody bet fifteen hundred dollars in November on Texas Tech to win a title, or that this guy might actually make three hundred thousand dollars? Well, if you're betting fifteen hundred dollars, you're probably either really dumb or you're really you have the pocket you have the pockets to make that bet. So I'm assuming this guy is probably rich, or he was just really dumb. Yes. Here is a text. I'm only reading the text from the 504. The texter says, Seth, don't say that phrase. You'll have to rumble. I will maybe have to rumble with your rights. Uh, if I were to say that certain phrase that I can't say, I might be rumbling with some lawyers. You're right. Isn't that weird? I, don't, I never really understood how you can trademark a phrase. If you're wondering what in the world we're talking about, we're talking about Michael Buffer's famous phrase that he just trademarked and copyrighted and everything. 
Uh, Jimmy and Gretna is quickly calling in. Let's go to him on the phone lines. Jimmy, welcome uh, welcome to the show. A little tongue-tied. What's up? Hey, man, look, I went to the Pelicans game tonight. I, I know you're not supposed to tank out, but we're so close right now to probably getting in that top five range. And, well, we got three or four games left we lost tonight. I mean, look, we're not going to get Zion unless we trade for him. But do you think whoever gets Zion would be willing to trade Zion for AD? Because I feel like the media is not talking about Anthony Davis much since the whole Lakers thing fell apart. And maybe his value is going down, or maybe they're punishing us in that way. So, number one, where do you think the Pelicans are going to end up in the draft? And I hope they lose the rest of these games. they got one more home game left against Golden State. I just want them to lose, lose, lose. I want to get rid of Gentry and start afresh. I'm hearing rumors that we're going to keep Danny Ferry. And correct me if I'm wrong if you've heard the same. I really think we need to just start. Yeah, Seth, I think we need to start new across the board because, look, this city is very fickle. The attendance was very bad tonight, and I know the season's over. But, man, when the the attendance drops here, it drops. And I just don't know how we're going to get people in seats with retreads so what's your take I'm on with all it. that? No, Jimmy, I'm with you. And Danny Ferry might be a great basketball mind, although if you look at his tenure in Atlanta and how that ended with, well, some, um, let's say some controversy over racial statements that he made, which certainly aren't a good look. I am also not in the business of retreads at this point for a franchise that needs a shot in the arm. That needs to take risks in order to be relevant in a league, in an association that is dominated by big markets. I'm, I'm not in the, the Danny Ferry for Pelicans GM game. I'm just not. There's a lot of people that are. A lot of people I have on the show that are. I'm not. As far as the Pelicans, could they trade AD for Zion Williamson? That would be after the draft, obviously, whoever drafts them. There is no team, I do not think, that would trade Williamson straight up to the Pelicans except one that is the Knicks and here's why you've got one year of team control left with Anthony Davis you'll have about eight if you count restricted free agency with Zion that is a massive difference now the reason I say the Knicks would possibly be willing to do that is because AD has said he would sign long-term with the Knicks, so they would likely have more long-term control over Anthony Davis should he re-sign there. So you're going to be rooting for the New York Knicks to get that number one pick if it is not the Pelicans. Third question he asked, where do the Pelicans land in the lottery? I have no idea. That's too many ping-pong balls, man. But if you play the odds, they're somewhere right around 8 to 11. They'll keep losing. A few more ping-pong balls in the bucket there. I'll take a break. Got a call, and then we'll have Michael Rothstein, ESPN's NFL Nation reporter. But we're not talking NFL. We're talking AAF in the fold there. And our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll at WWL.com. Should the Saints trade up in the draft? You can cast your vote at WWL.com or the Radio.com app. As Jimmy and Gretna referenced there, Hornets knock off the Pelicans tonight, 115-109. 34 points for Julius Randle, 17 for Ian Clark. uh, Ian Clark, only two points for Alfred Payton. Tough night for him. 
We'll talk more Pelicans in a few minutes. If you're on hold, stay on hold. I want to get to your calls, but first I want to broach the topic of the AAF again. We talked a lot about it yesterday with the league abruptly folding and controlling owner Tom Dundon. A lot of ire directed his way, including from me yesterday. I wanted to bring in Michael Rothstein, ESPN NFL Nation reporter, who wrote about this yesterday and is covering this story. He's on Twitter at Mike Rothstein and uh, Mike, welcome to the show. And it sounds like today that uh, the reports yesterday that Tom Dundon just bought the AAF for gambling tech and video tech might have not been uh, completely accurate. Is that right? You know, it, it really feels like a lot of it is still murky. And it's not entirely accurate. Any, I, I shouldn't say entirely accurate. I, I think there's a lot that's still unknown, frankly. And... I know in the last 24 hours, I, I, I've been kind of covering this league a bit here since January. And the last 24 hours, there's just been so much information that's thrown out there from so many different people source-wise, just to me. And I'm not, I'm not even talking about what other people are reporting, that it seems like there's just a lot of confusion and mixed messages going on in a lot of ways. And... I'm hesitant at this point to say definitively on anything one way or the other what's true and what's not. Yeah, I'm with you. And regardless of whether that specific report is true or not, Tom Dundon just comes off looking terrible in this, Michael. As and Correct me if I'm wrong here. It sounds like he did not notify anybody, not a single person involved with the AAF, that he was going to abruptly shutter this. Is that right? I mean, let's be real. He did come out a week ago and say, Hey, if this, if I can't negotiate this with the NFLPA to get practice squad players, which we can get into in a little bit, if you want to as well, because that's a, in my opinion, a kind of misnomer in and of itself, then he might shut down. He told that to Mike Jones at USA Today. And you sit there and you say, okay, well, that when I saw that, I thought that was a negotiating tactic, maybe a little bit of posturing, but, it maybe was just a warning sign that nobody paid attention to. And then he followed through on it when, hey, he wasn't getting where he wanted to go. And listen, he gave, he pledged $250 million. Not all of that money got to the Alliance of American Football, but he pledged that money. They made him chairman of the league. They gave up, Bill Polian and Charlie Eversall gave up power. And... Um. In doing that, you allow Tom Dundon to basically do what he pleased with it because it's a single-entity organization, and if you're running the thing, you can make your decision, and it's your money. So, I don't know. I think Tom Dundon, listen, I think there's a lot of blame to go around. I think there's a lot of different tentacles to this, a lot that have been reported, and some that, I, at least for me, I haven't gotten confirmed enough to get where I feel comfortable reporting it. But there's a lot of different ways to this, and I think the easy out is to blame Tom Dundon because it's, it's an easy villain because he's the guy who's shutting down this league. But I, I believe it's a lot more complex than, than just that. Yeah, indeed. Michael Rothstein of ESPN joining us here talking about the AAF folding. You mentioned the negotiations there with the NFLPA on using practice squad players in the spring in AAF games. And and just to me, looking from the, the outside in here, uh, either he was 
incredibly naive talking about Tom Dundon or he was just being insincere with the public when he expected negotiations with the NFLPA over something like this to be completed in just a couple of weeks? I mean, uh, you know this, Michael. These things take years sometimes. Well, that's the first thing. Yeah, that's years, especially because there's a new CBA coming up. And the NFLPA, whether they want to support this thing or not, and, and that's never really been clear one way or the other, at least not to make clear to me, they're not going to give up a potential bargaining chip for the next CBA. And we've all been talking about as people around the NFL that that conversation has already happened. That's happened in locker rooms last year about what that new CBA is going to look like and what those negotiations are going to be. So why would the NFLPA try to give up a, a potential bargaining chip? That's the first thing. And the second thing with it, and it's something I really haven't seen talked a lot about is the understanding of what, a practice squad player contract is if a guy is on a practice squad at the end of the year, at the end of the season, he can go wherever he wants. He doesn't have to sign a futures deal with the team he's been on. Usually that happens, but that doesn't always happen. And I live in Detroit. I spent a lot of time covering the Detroit lions and I live in Michigan, not Detroit, but I spent a lot of time covering the Detroit lions and Jake Rudock was on their practice squad last year. Guess who? who didn't sign with them this year after that. Jake Rudock, he went to Miami. So that happens. That happens every year. And the point of that is there is no control there. So you can say you want practice players all you want, but that doesn't mean anything because a practice player at the end of the season can go play in the Alliance of American Football. Well, could have, can't now, could have played in the Alliance of American Football. And that happened this past season. So that, to me, when they're talking about practice squad players, either that was kind of not understood or, or it just seemed really off to me from the get-go. Maybe they meant more young developmental players, guys that you know were 51, 52, 53 and active every week that are on the roster and you send them down there with maybe some injury guarantees. If that was what they were trying to negotiate, sure. If they're trying to negotiate practice squad players, that just never made sense to me. The other area where there's a lot of conflicting information out there is just how financially sound, maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but on stable footing the league was. How stable was it here in the closing days and weeks leading up to Dunford's decision? I don't think a ton of people know that answer, at least a ton of people outside of the league, because, again, that's another thing that I've heard a lot of different things about, and here, here's the thing, and this I don't know if this speaks to the finances of it or not, but it was maybe in this entire thing the most interesting thing to me. And it showed, I think, the largest disconnect that was really going on within the Alliance of American Football at its top leadership spot. After Tom Dundon comes out and says, hey, I'm thinking about shutting this thing down if negotiations don't go well, Charlie Ebersol is on Twitter that weekend, after Eminem tweets about, hey, AAF, get a franchise in Detroit, he's talking with Eminem about potential expansion on Twitter. Like, wait a minute, are you – and before that, Bill, a couple weeks earlier, Bill Polian had said on a conference call with the media that they weren't really looking at expansion for next year, but that the money that Dundon was giving them gave them a multi-year plan. So everybody seemed to have different messages that they were giving – that they were giving and they were putting out there and that they were trying to really push and convey. And that to me 
when you're eight weeks in or more than that, I mean, eight weeks into a regular season, but you're a year in to building this, that to me screams that there's a lot of disconnect there. So when a lot of people are surprised this happened, yeah, I'm not shocked at that because it seems like there was just a lot of questions overall from the top on down. And uh, like I said before, I don't – do I think Dundon did some people wrong here? Yeah. Do I think that he's solely to blame? No, because, listen, they wouldn't have needed to bring in Tom Dundon if they were really in a financially good position before that. Uh, you know, they, they said that it was a payroll – the payroll thing was a, you know, a payroll snap – or. A, a snafu with you know paperwork or, or the machinery or whatever after week one when Dundon came in, but still, you brought in a guy and then Pullian saying at that point that gives you some multi-year security. Well, clearly that means you didn't have it before. So to me, financially, I think that there were questions uh, for a long time, and that's not surprising to me on any level that there would be some financial concerns, and there are some other things that that have, I've seen rumored that I just haven't been able to confirm, so I don't want to really talk about them, that would show even more that there were major financial problems. Michael Rothstein joining us, ESPN NFL Nation reporter, talking AAF folding. Um, do you believe that Tom Dundon bamboozled Ebersol and Polian, or do you think maybe Polian and Ebersol were bamboozling others? I don't know. I mean, I, I think the, I, that that's a really tough question to answer at this point, it, just because I think for a lot of people too that were involved with the league, and I've spoken with a good with a lot of people in the last twenty four forty eight hours. I think there's still a lot of confusion. There are still some people who I've spoken to that are holding out hope that the league comes back. I, I don't think that anyone thinks it's coming back this year, but that it can return at some point. So I don't really know here, you know, and if, if Tom Dundon brings it back, then I think that a lot of people would, would say, okay, why, then why'd you cut it down in the first place? Why didn't you just let it finish out the season? To me, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know the answer to that question. And I know that's not a great radio answer, but I don't necessarily know the answer to that question. I, I think there's just still, a lot of confusion from a lot of people about what exactly happened and kind of how they got to this point. Although my story on ESPN.com kind of lays out a lot of the mileposts along the way that were, to me at least, while I was covering this league, red flags or orange flags, whatever color you'd like to use, saying, hey, like this seems a little weird. This seems a little off and ill-prepared. It's a great read at ESPN.com, your story there. Does this have any ripple effects to the XFL? If I'm the XFL, I'm super happy because all of those players were under three-year contracts and the Alliance of American Football wasn't going to let those players go. And one of the biggest on-field gripes with how the play was in the AAF were quarterbacks and offensive linemen. And especially on the offensive line, you're, you're scraping, you're scraping there toward the end. And if all those players were under contract with the AAF, what would those offensive lines and what would the quarterback play look like in the XFL if you couldn't get those players? So to me, if this goes away, if I'm the XFL, I'm like, all right, you know what? Hey, let's start offering players as soon as we can. If players 
want to keep playing, if they don't get into NFL training camps, go after them now, sign them, because those are the players that you're going to, that type of players you're going to want because it's still going to be a similar level of football because, yeah, sure, the XFL is talking about allowing underclassmen and, and guys who wouldn't be eligible for the NFL draft coming in, but realistically, how many players are going to really do that? Uh, you know, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a ton of players will go and do that, but I just have a tough time seeing a bunch of players go and do that, especially in a high-injury-risk sport like football, to possibly risk a, a somewhat major injury and then an NFL career for $80,000, you know, for whatever whatever the, NX, the XFL ends up paying them. But that being said, I think the pool play, the player pool for – the XFL just grew exponentially with people who probably are going to be a little bit wary of going into another spring league. But if a lot of guys get signed out of this anyway, if I'm a player, I'm like, all right, you know what? Listen, even if the same exact thing happens with the XFL in 2020 that happened with the AAF in 2019, look at all these players that put enough film out there that got even if it's just training camp jobs, got a shot in the NFL again, and I would take that shot. So to me, for the XFL, this was a good day. Excellent insight and information here from Michael Rothstein, who has been covering this at ESPN.com. You can find his story on the AAF's folding there. Michael, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Anytime. At Mike Rothstein on Twitter. And again, Find his work at ESPN.com. Before we go to break, Bill in uh, New Orleans wants to talk a little Pelicans here tonight. We were talking Pels before Mike came on. Uh, Bill, what's going on tonight? Hey, so I want to make two points, one being the future of the coaching versus, and then number two, uh, about the potential players that we could get this summer with AD. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first thing is I am a huge fan uh, of Becky Hamill's. And I think that – remember, this ain't football. This is basketball. One of the greatest coaches that ever ever coached basketball was a female in Pat Summit. No doubt. There's a lot of similarities between Becky Hamels and Sean Payton. A Becky Hammond, but yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. But, I agree with you. Here. So, like, for example, she learned on an all-time great coach with a history of having a strong coaching tree of former assistants that are now head coaches. Sean Payton also has leadership, accountability, offensive mind, small detail. And like Sean, she's kind of coming into a situation that it's like no one wants. You know, you're losing a big star. You know, the tennis is down. But what you see is the Pelicans have two guaranteed starters that are very good in Drew and Randall. I think he'll resign here. What you'll get for AD is very likely two to three starters, whether that's Boston, New York, or the Lakers, mm-hmm. plus two to three high draft picks where if you get, say, a job Morant, Tatum, and Brown, now you got a legitimate starting five similar to what Memphis had for that eight- to ten-year span where they were making conference semifinals and conference finals. Forget winning NBA championships right now. The team needs to learn how to be a consistent winner first. Yeah, I agree with you, Bill, and I think they have the the foundation – to go through a relatively quick rebuild here, especially the way Drew's playing and Randall's playing. And if you can bring Alfred Payton back, although his contract's expiring and he's probably well, increased his value on the market a little bit with his play the last couple of months, I think that's a solid core around anybody you're going to get in that trade. 
And I agree with you. Becky Hammond it would be a fantastic choice if Alvin Gentry is not brought back. Taking a break, coming back with Sports Libs on the last lap. Text at 87870 from the 985. Not to worry. The XFL will be coming to a neighborhood and city near you shortly. The real football of North America. Yes. No, I don't agree with that. Great text, though. I'm glad you're excited. I am not. And if you think there's some shenanigans going on with the NFL behind the scenes, uh, wait until you have Vince McMahon and the WWE hierarchy running a football league. You don't think some of that's going to be rigged and set up? You are not going to be able to convince me that it's not going to happen, including when Vince is going to own all the teams. You know, like he's going to pick and choose which markets he wants to be good? Come on. I bet he plays his, pays his players. Well, yes. I bet he does. He's not going to have a problem with that. <laughs> no doubt there. All right, let's do a little sports libs. Tim, we do this every night. It's like Mad Libs, sports style. You can play along on the text line at 870-870. What you got, Tim? All right, the first question is NFL mock drafts a month before the actual draft are blank. I don't want to be too harsh here because I understand people paying attention to them, but they're silly. I'll, that's the nicest way I could put it. It's, it's silly. Like, really, outside of maybe Kyler Murray, do we really know? And really, even with Kyler Murray, are we 100% sure it's going down? Come on. It's silly. Don't pay attention to it. Pay attention to them when they're about a week out and you got more information here. Silly is my final answer. McShay and Kuyper brought their top 10 out on ESPN earlier today, and it's exactly the same. And Devin White was going to the Tampa Bay Bucks. You know what? I don't even want to get on. You know what? I'll talk about it tomorrow. All right. I saw something from McShay that drove me nuts. Go ahead. Question number two: Nas Reed will be a blank NBA player. Roll NBA player because I don't think he's going to be a star. I just don't think that he has the presence inside to be good at the four or like a, a step out five. And frankly, I don't think he's good enough to be a dominant five inside. So I think he'll be you know sufficient player. I just don't think he's going to be a star. So role player. I think the word you're looking for is project. He's definitely a project, but anybody who comes out one and done is. I mean, even Zion's going to be, well, Zion may be a bad example, but like R.J. Barrett or even John Morant can be a little bit of a project. All right, final question. The most overrated team in the NFL in 2019 will be blank. Cleveland. The Browns. Get off this Cleveland Browns are your Super Bowl favorite, please. I understand it's exciting, and they're going to be better than, well, they have been in quite a while, but Super Bowl favorites? Tim, you got to agree with me here. That's got to be your answer, right? I mean, that's that's the easiest sports lib I've had in three months. I think they're the third best team in the AFC, according to Vegas odds. But I know Vegas odds are just what people accept as for money, so I don't think they're actually that high up there. I kind of want to go with the Cowboys because I think Jason Garrett's run is going to come to an end eventually. <laughs> well, I mean, one of these years, everybody's going to be right. I mean, all it takes Garrett is an Ezekiel Elliott injury, and then the Dow- Dallas Cowboys are over. Could it be the Patriots finally? Are we going to go down that road, that slippery no. slope? It won't be the Patriots. Ah, their wins have declined it from could, 14 to 13 to 11 last year. It could be years. the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ooh, I like that, but people are kind of off that bad wagon, right? I mean, they still have Roethlisberger. They still have uh, Tomlin. They still have, you know, their whole – they still defense, have their defense, defense yeah. I guess. I mean, they're, the other receiver they have there. So Ravens might be pretty good. The Ravens will be very boring. Boring, but good. Yeah. Boring's not always bad. All right, that's Sports Libs for tonight. We're coming back with a moment of Zen. LSU baseball highlights from their 2-0 victory over South Alabama. And we're wrapping up the show on the last lap. Well, you got lots of great live sports on this station this week. LSU baseball Friday and Sunday against Texas A&M. 
No Saturday LSU. That's because we'll have the final four courtesy of Westwood One. And it's basically an all-day affair. We're going to start at 2.30 on Saturday with the Final Four show. And then at 5.09 Central Time, Virginia against Auburn, followed immediately after by Michigan State and Texas Tech. It's the NCAA Men's Final Four wherever you go, right here on WWL Radio, 105.3 FM, and the Big 870 AM. Also, you've heard the promos if you listen to the show tonight. Our Game of Thrones podcast, a podcast has no name, Ah, yes, the final season. And final season of our podcast returns next Tuesday. Myself, Teapot from B97, Kat from Bayou 95.7, Stina and Styles, all of us together each and every week. We'll release those episodes on Tuesday. We're recording the first preview episode tomorrow. Give you a little preview of that, and then next Tuesday it will be released. Radio.com app, WWL.com. If you listen to our sister station, too, B97.com or Bayou97.com. I was going to say the next couple of weeks in sports are going to be pretty exciting. You got the Final Four this weekend. You have the Masters the following weekend with French Quarter Fest, and then you have the Kentucky Derby in three more weeks. I know it's a great month, right? Uh, April is one of the really cool months. Of course, NFL Draft uh, later in the month on into next month. That's going to do it for our show. Thanks to Tim Zimmer behind the glass. Thanks to our guests, Ralph Michaels, Teddy Cahill, Carter Bryant, and Michael Rothstein. Also, thanks to Diane Newman, our program director, and Tom Manessis, our assistant program director. Also, producer Helen Santani for helping out during the day. I'm Seth Dunlap. Be sure you follow me on Twitter, at Seth Dunlap. And follow us on Twitter, at WWLAMFM. You can get all the show, if you missed any of it, via the podcast and on demand at WWL.com, Radio.com app, or Apple Podcasts. Handing it off now to Beyond Reality Radio, and as we do every night, we leave you with our moment of zen. Here is the final out from LSU's 2-0 win, shutout win, over South Alabama. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.